Greetings, everyone. I am going to do another naval battle today, and I will return with a couple more podcasts tomorrow or Saturday. And today I'm going to be talking about another battle which has actually been compared to the Battle of Trafalgar in terms of both significance and in just general events. This is the Battle of Tsushima, which was a major battle fought between the Japanese and the Russians during the Russo-Japanese War. And this is considered to be the first decisive sea battle that was fought by modern steel fleets, and the first naval battle in which wireless telegraphy, aka radio, is very important. It's also been considered the dying echo of the old age, for this is the last time when which ships of the line surrendered on the high seas. It's like the last time that ever happened, because this was about nine years before World War One, and by World War One, the ships of the line had been retired. This was like basically the last echo, and this, just like with the Battle of Trafalgar, saw one fleet devastated. And this was fought on the 27th and 28th of May in 1905. But in the Julian calendar the Russians used, it was actually the 14th and 15th of May. So that's why there is a bit of date confusion, because the Russians used a Julian calendar at the time. And this was fought in the Tsushima Strait, which is between Korea and southern Japan. In this battle, a Japanese fleet destroyed a Russian fleet. It's considered to be one of the most important naval battles, or the most important naval battle, and the greatest naval battle since Trafalgar. And this is actually considered to be one of the most important battles for the ending of the war, because it's what compelled the Russians to sue for peace, because the public were very mad. And the thing is that before the war, most battleships were made with mixed batteries, so mainly 6-inch, 8-inch, and 10-inch and 12-inch guns. That way they could basically fight on a battle line, in a close court and a very decisive action, but this battle demonstrated that it isn't having a mixed gun. It's actually better to have bigger guns and very ship fast ships that have long ranges rather than a bunch of mixed batteries that that can kind of do multiple purposes to win. So I'm gonna give a bit of background. So the conflict, the Russo-Japanese War started with a surprise attack by the Imperial Japanese Navy on the 8th of February, 1904 on the Russian fleet. And Japan's main goal was basically secure our communication lines and make sure that we can get supplies to the mainland so they can fight a war in Manchuria. And to do this, it was completely necessary for them to neutralize the power in the Far East. The thing to know is that the Russians did not have the largest fleet in the Far East. They still had a significant force, however. And in the, in the beginning, the force of Russian ships was actually do, doing nothing. And they actually did not engage the Japanese, who managed to launch several different naval landings without being opposed, which is not a good sign. And at first, the Russians were revitalized when a man known as Admiral Stepan Makarov arrived to lead them. But later on, his ship, a battle, the battleship, I believe, which Petro Pavlos struck a mine and sank, and he died. And his successors failed to actually challenge the Japanese, and as a result of this, the Russians got bottled up. And by May, the Japanese had already landed men on the Liaodong Peninsula, which is in part of northern China. If you look at Korea, at the northern border of North Korea, there was like a little, to the west of that, there's a little junk outcropping. That is the peninsula that actually put the Port Arthur under siege. And the, and the Russian admiral was basically ordered and the Pacific Squadron was ordered to go to Vladivostok and engage the Imperial Navy. But later on, during the Battle of the Yellow Sea, the squadron would be dispersed, and they would lose a lot of their ships, and what would remain would be sink. 
in Port Arthur eventually. And after the first Berserker Squadron had become active after the death of Admiral Makarov, and because the siege was tightening it, continuing to tighten, the Russians considered to send their Baltic fleet out of Europe to the Far East. And the plan was basically, we're going to relieve Port Arthur, link up with the first squadron, overwhelm the Imperial Navy, and then delay the Japanese advance until we can get the reinforcements could come up, and overwhelm the Japanese. And the thing was that the Tsar was actually encouraged by his cousin, Kaiser Wilhelm II, to agree to a formation of a second Pacific Squadron, which would be consisted of five divisions of the Baltic Fleet, including around 11 battleships. And it, they came out of the forts of Tallinn, and I believe it was from Lipaja, but back then it was Reval and Libal. And they had about 42 ships and auxiliaries on the 15th to 16th of October 1904 under the command of Admiral Zinovai Rozovensky. And they ended up sailing through the Baltic into the North Sea. And for some reason, they had heard fictitious reports of Japanese torpedo boats in the area somehow. And they were high alert. This caused an incident in which they thought that British fishing trawlers or Spanish ships fired upon them and killed many. I mean, not many. They killed several. And actually, at one point, they'd been fired on their own vessels in this car. And so it's... And something's quite weird is that they actually would have been worse if the Russians were not very inaccurate. And this caused a bit of a diplomatic incident, which caused a lot of issues. And this kind of showed slowed down the Russians in a sense. And they also had to disembark a couple of officers, which was not good, because now they lost some of their leaders. And then they had to make the trip. And this, the issue was that they actually had to make a... They had to make different routes, so the newer and heavier ships had to make a longer trip that would circumnavigate the African continent by going around, just like Vasco da Gama and a lot of the old navigators did, where the older lighter ships could go through the Suez Canal, and this longer route took them. I mean, it was April and May of 1905, and it was by then that they were only in French Indochina, and what is now Vietnam, and this one of the reasons that it took several months is because rough seas, of course, and they had difficulty obtaining fuel for refueling because as a warring nations, you can they cannot legally enter the warships, could not legally enter the port of neutral nations back then, and as a result of this, they had to get, it was very hard for them to get coal, and they had to buy the coal from someone, which is very difficult for them, and this also caused them to lose a lot of morale, and by the time they arrived to break the blockade of Port Arthur, Port Arthur had already fallen, and as was and, by the, and actually, interestingly enough, it actually fell before they got there. It fell, it fell by the time they reached Madagascar. And as you can probably tell, that means they were way too far away at that point to do anything. And then the goal is, okay, instead of we're leaving the siege, we're going to link up with our forces at the port of Vladivostok. Then we're going to fight them. And there was actually three ways for them to enter the sea of Japan to reach Vladivostok. They could have gone through, they could have gone through Tsushima, Suguru, or La Perouse. They chose Tsushima because they thought it would be more simple. And Admiral Togo, who was in Busan, also thought that Tsushima would be their preferred choice. And the Tsushima Strait is a body of water. It's eastward of the Tsushima Island Group. It's midway between the Korean Peninsula and the island of Kyoshu. And this is the shortest and this was the shortest and most direct route, which is probably why they both thought that they're gonna go this route. And the other route would require them to go east of Japan. And these groups would fight in the strait between Korea and Japan, near the Tsushima Island, and do a little bit of a prelude. And because of this 18,000 mile that they did journey that they sailed, the Russian fleet was in very poor condition. And a lot of their fleets, and they had a couple new ships, most of them were older and poorly maintained. Neither side was good with 
neither side could really maneuver better however but because of the longer voyage and the lack of opportunity for russians to maintain their sh their undergo ship maintenance because there was no ports for them to dock and to repair their ships the ships were heavily fouled which by which i mean they had a lot of microorganisms plants and types of stuff accumulated on all their different operations and all the different parts of the ship making it hard for them to operate and the japanese could actually go so japanese ships could maintain a speed of 15 knots an hour the russians could only go 14 while you, that may not seem like a, diff, a big difference they could only go 14 in very short bursts in addition to this the russian naval fleets had poor were more poorly equipped and were more poorly trained the russian naval fleets their torpedoes what they learned the torpedoes were not as well made or as like well thought out as the japanese in addition to this the japanese the commander togo was the only fleet commander on either navy with combat experience above modern warships. The others were all Russian admirals who had already defeated, which shows that this man was probably pretty good at fighting, which is not a good sign. And eventually they decided both sides basically divided the forces up into these divisions, each one being commanded by a flag officer and admiral. And at the Battle of Tsushima, Togo was the officer commanding the battleship Mikasa. And the other division will be con commanded by various groups. And Togo was able to use reconnaissance and get a very well-chosen position. And basically, he managed to secure his objective or his plan of getting the Russian fleet in battle. And he actually had a plan, so when he decided to turn to port in sequence, he did so to preserve a sequence of his battleships. He wanted his... Or this could indicate that his, maybe he wanted his ships to enter most powerful first. And the way that he, de he designed his strategy is that turning in sequence would make it so that each ship would turn one after another while still kind of following the ship in front of them. Which would let them kind of go over the same area of sea. However, this would also be dangerous because it would make it so that the enemies could basically concentrate all their fire on this one area. And Togo could have ordered them to turn together once they turned basically at the same time. But the strategy would have been similar to the one that the French-Spanish force at Trafalgar did, which would have disrupted everything. So as you can tell, Togo's planning everything out. He wants to be able to meet his forces more organized. So unlike the Battle of Trafalgar, Togo, the Spanish-French force at the Battle of Trafalgar, Togo knows his plan. And he, has a, and he is ready not only to fight but he's also ready to maintain his command so this won't be some disorganized battle that is going to stay organized i think notice that because the russians wanted to come undetected they attempted to steer outside they basically steered outside of regular shipping channels that way they could get to first talk and they had a thick fog that was helping them and then something else that happens that the but eventually they were caught at 2.45 Japanese Standard Time. A Japanese cruiser saw lights burning. And they said from a Russian hospital ship that continued to burn its lights. Because rules of war, they have to burn the lights of hospitals. The light, not burn the lights as in burn them. But I mean, set the lights that way people know. Oh, this, because you can't like use stealth. You can't use doctors as stealth war, warfare. It's against the rules of war. And then interestingly enough is that the Orel thought that the shin this Japanese ship was a Russian vessel. So I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to notify anyone, which basically was not a good mood, mood idea. And then they also told the Japanese ship, oh, yeah, by the way, it's got some other ships nearby, too. So as you can probably tell, this was a blunder. And the, eventually, and this is how the ship got detected. 
and at this point they lost any chance of getting to Vladivostok undetected. And from the start, actually, radio did play an important role. They were able to message people. They were able to tell the different people in where the enemy were. They were able to intercept Russian radios. The Russians were able to re- intercept radio signals and basically figure out, oh yeah, the Japanese know what's happening, and they're shattering us. And then the battle began at 634. And the and actually the last sentence of telegram weather today, fine, but in the high waves, is very famous in Japanese military history. And at this point, the Japanese fleet put to sea with Togo leading over 40 vessels to meet the Russians. And at this point, these scouting vessels were shattering the Russians were sending reports of units. Okay, this is their formation. This is their course. And of course, there was a lot of reduced visibility, but around 140, they sighted each other, prepared to engage. And at 155... They hosted a flag and issued the announcement that the Empire's fate depends on the results of this battle, that Abimandu's utmost duty, and by 2.45, they began to fire. Targo crossed the Russian T-line, which is essentially when you approach when you approach a ship in a way that lets you fire while the Russians could only... So he could fire with his broadsides, the Russians could only fire with their forward guns. And during the day, the style of these ships meet each other. And though Togo's turn was successful at fighting them, and Togo was able to turn to essentially follow the Russian, take the same course, and think those the Russians did make a mistake is that they continued to appoint an intersection which only allowed their bow guns to be fired, which made it so that they could not really use most of their battles, their batteries. And soon enough, at two oh eight, the first flag, first Japanese flag, the Japanese flagship was hit, but. And then the Japanese, about 7,000 meters between the ships out. But then at 6,400 meters, the Japanese returned fire. And as the Japanese were superior with gunnery, they took their toll and they ended up crippling most battleships. And actually, to quote a Russian commander, it seems impossible even to count the number of projectiles striking us. And they kept it, they were getting shelled and shelled. And in addition, even though ships were made of steel and iron, they were being hit with enough shells that they were being torn in pieces. And the splinters were actually very dangerous because... The metal splinters were ripping people apart. In addition to this, their ladder, iron ladders being crumpled up and the guns literally being hurled from mountings. And there was also a, and the, they were also causing, this is, I'm kind of paraphrasing the rest of it, essentially. And the, they also, the shells are very high temperature and there was a liquid flame. And with 90, only 90 minutes into the hour, they lost their first, they lost the first warship, which is the first time that a modern, modern armored warship has been sinken by gunfire alone. And soon enough, the Russian battleship Borodino's magazines were hit by a Japanese battleship, which caused the ship to explode, trapped all the crew on board, and this actually knocked out the Admiral Commander. And soon enough, the Russians lost another couple of battleships, while the Japanese only suffered light damage. And at the night, soon enough, they attacked at night as well. At a clock around 21 destroyers. And 20, 37 Japanese torpedo boats attacked the Russians. The torpedo boats attacked from the east and south, while the destroyers attacked from the vanguard. They were very aggressive, and they continued three hours without a break. This caused a small number of collisions throughout the night, and the thing was at this point, the Russians had tried to break. They tried to break northwards, basically escape. And by 11 o'clock, they actually thought the Russians had escaped or just gone. But then, unfortunately, when they decided to turn on their searchlights to turn to spot the attackers, they were spotted. And they actually did, they also lost another ship when they were struck by a mine. And then they were compelled to stop because of this. And then they were torpedoed several times and sank. 
and then another ship was badly damaged and was scuttled, and two more cruisers were badly damaged. Both were scuttled eventually. And this night caused heavy damage to a Russian force. And then during the night action, Togo had basically attempted to destroy any remaining vessels and consolidate the, and chase down warships before consolidating his forces. And then at 7.30 the next day in the morning, his, the Russian force was spotted heading northwards, and Togo decided to surround them. And they commenced fire. I think it was that Togus would be able to outrange the Russians. And as a result, of them, when the Admiral realized, okay, they're going to outshoot us and they, we can't hit them at this distance, they surrendered. And oddly enough, actually, no, this is not necessarily odd, but even though they hosted the sign of surrender, the Japanese continued to fight because they did not understand, they did not have the surrender code in their code book. And then even on the head of fire, no, I think the Admiral basically ordered, okay, let's put up some white tablecloths. But Togo did not trust this, but eventually they found that... They eventually found out that the AGE is... A, the XGE signals of surrender, but they also said... They also reported that, okay, you need to stop their engines, so they continued to fire. And at one point, the Russian cruiser attempted... One of Russian cruiser attempted to flee. And then eventually... The Admiral realized that, oh, I forgot to do the other requirements, so he, they ordered some Japanese Imperial Navy flags up, and they stopped the engine. And this is when they stopped firing. And then at this point, the Admiral, who the lost Admiral, was sent to the hospital to recover from the engine injuries, and his head injury from the shrapnel. And actually, the thing was that Togo did visit him and actually comforted him, saying defeat is a common fate of a soldier. There's nothing to be ashamed of in of, of it. In it, and the greatest, the greatest point, the great point is whether we have performed our duty, which I think is very cool that he was kind enough to say that, and that both and both men, both animals returned to Russia, both the place on trial, and the man who was initially leading the force claims for responsibility. Because he had been unconscious and wounded during the last part, there was our community's death sentence. And then the guy who was leading when they surrendered was imprisoned and eventually pardoned. And until the evening of May 28th, basically all these isolated ships were pursued until the almost all of them were destroyed or captured. And only three ships managed to release that stock, which basically saw the complete devastation of the rest of the fleet. We'll talk about some contributing factors, as we know. Admiral Togo was more experienced. However, their experience in Battlefleet was only like four hours of experience, which is somewhat better. The Japanese had also been more experienced with the gunnery. In addition to this, the Japanese had different systems. The Japanese were more trained, and they had better communication. So all in all, they had a lot more advances. In addition to this, both the thing to know is that the both sides did have forms of radios, but the Russians... The, Je the Russians were using German sets, which they had issues with using, while the Japanese had their own sets, which were more efficient. Also, it is not known that the British had not only built their fleet, they had all the Japanese fleet also trained them, which helped them fight in the war, made them, they gave them a lot better ships. And a mixture of other things, in addition to this, the Japanese were using a form of high explosive shells with a something called Shamos powder, which is pure picric acid. And this was something that was different to other ships.
and it was actually undiluted. And because this was undiluted, it was very powerful, and it was stronger in terms of detonation than other explosive shells. This also had a fuse, which was designed as the Ijuin fuse, which was designed to explode on impact, which caused even more damage. In addition to this, they used cordite smokeless propellant, which means that there was no smoke off the muzzle to impede visibility. And the Russians were not using high explosive shells and only used armor piercing rounds, which was not good, and a couple of other different types of things. They had, they had poor gunnery, which made it so that their ships were much less damaging. In addition to this, the Japanese off-target shells, because of the way that the fuse was super sensitive, even if they missed, their hits would usually cause shockwaves that could cause issues or even damage Russian ships. Talk about the aftermath. The Russians ended up losing many ships in the battle. And casualties, I believe, or something along the lines of the Japanese lost 117 men died, 583 were injured, and they lost around three torpedo boats. The Russians lost 5,045 men dead, 8,803 injured. Sorry, that would be a lot more men. 6,000 captured, six of their battleships sunk, they lost a coastal battleship, 14 other ships captured, seven. 14 other ships sunk, 7 more captured, and 6 disarmed, which is a complete decimation of their naval fleet. And this is believed to have contributed to the later victory of the Japanese. And thinking that this battle ended up devastating the prestige of Russia, and the dynasties lost a lot of like its reputation, they lost a lot of their fleet. This also just this is a and some people argue that because of how this destabilized the balance of power, this may have actually made the central powers more bold. It's also had a very profound cultural and political effect because this is the first defeat of a European power by an Asian nation. This caused something called the this kind of made the yellow peril much more like pronounced because people are like, oh no, they actually can beat us, which is. The, the yellow peril thing was basically this idea that these Japanese nations were dangerous or that they would defeat America. Or the West, not necessarily America, sorry. This also established Japan as a very, the sixth greatest naval power, of, con, considered to be the sixth greatest naval power, while the Russians was considered to be, at this point, barely stronger than the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, which is pretty sad because they had a terrible navy. In addition to this, this battle has been argued that this is what made Japan increasingly, increasingly aggressive, both politically and military. And some people have said that this lopsided victory created this false legend, and this and they thought that and this made that this made the Japanese think that their ships could win battles throughout the, that they could win throughout the Pacific, and then they could beat, that no one could resist them. And this, this, some people think that this victory may have contributed to their rogue to later disaster because they thought that they would be very good. With their, they thought that they would be able to beat everyone. They thought that they really needed to innovate, which kind of hurt them. There's also hope continue the Dreadnought race. Thanks for listening, y'all. This was the Battle of Tsushima. I believe it's pronounced Tsushima. Thanks for listening, folks.